0: This is Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. The word of God for the people of God. So there's a couple of things that I think we need to understand if we're going to really unpack these few verses in the broader narrative of the book of Mark. The first thing that we need to recognize is this is the last healing miracle in the entire book of Mark, and over the last 10 chapters, we have seen Jesus just getting his hands dirty in the lives of the people that are around him. We've seen him heal many different people. We've also seen him teaching with authority, and we've seen him raise questions in the eyes of the religious leaders at the time. People were not uh, ambivalent towards Jesus. It seems as though it was a love-hate relationship with this guy, but you couldn't just be kind of in the middle on the fence. He had been engaging in what we can now call kingdom work. When Jesus showed up announcing the kingdom of God is here, it's at hand, it's breaking in through me and beginning to right the wrongs of the world, beginning to allow people to be restored into community, allowing folks like Bartimaeus to see again, allowing folks who have had uh, different ailments and, and issues to be completely and utterly restored, giving us a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like restoration, wholeness, and we see that through Jesus and through his ministry. We also see that in in these last couple chapters that we've been looking at, um, Jesus is beginning to turn a corner in the ministry. It's not just preaching and teaching and healing, but now he has begun to set his sights on Jerusalem. There's a very deliberate shift in the book of Mark from chapters one up into the middle of chapter eight where Jesus is engaged in ministry work and then he begins to teach his disciples what is about to happen. So for the majority of the first few chapters, Jesus' ministry has taken place at the top there around Galilee in the north. And now he's beginning to walk south. And last week, the text that we looked at, Jesus was out in front and just resolutely walking as if he knew exactly where it was that he was going. So, Jesus is leading his people down to the south, and now you can see in the, in the bottom there, in the middle, into Jericho. Most people would say this is the last um, big town before you get into Jerusalem. It's also worthy of note that when they say we're going up to Jerusalem, they really mean that. Uh, Jericho is situated about 825 or so feet below sea level, and Jericho is kind of, or Jerusalem is up on a hill. So, their incline in the, the walk from Jericho to Jerusalem would have been some people would say about a 1,000 meters of an incline. Uh, So very literally, they're going up to Jerusalem, but Jesus is also taking this on metaphorically where he is going, setting his sights on the cross on what needed to happen for complete and utter restoration and wholeness to be uh, attained for us. So we see in the book of Mark, this is the last healing miracle, and it's starting to turn a corner where Jesus is setting his sights on Jerusalem and the task at hand, and now we meet him in Jericho. I think it's funny how this story is introduced. It's like, and they arrived in Jericho, and then they were leaving Jericho and met a man. It's like, for Mark, what he did in in Jericho wasn't a big deal. It's what he did as he was leaving, beginning to go towards Jerusalem. But this is the last healing miracle in the book, and this is also the only miracle in the book of Mark with a named recipient of Jesus' grace. We've seen, as I mentioned, all sorts of different healing miracles take place. Um, Peter's mother-in-law very early in the story. We've also seen a man with a skin disease or some people would talk about leprosy. In the ancient Jewish culture, it wasn't necessarily leprosy as we know it today, but anyone with a, with a skin ailment would be ostracized and cast out of the community. And this man that just desperately wanted to come back in and Jesus touching him and bringing him back to, to, to wholeness and, and restoring him into the life of the community. A paralytic, all these people so far are unnamed. A man with a withered hand. This is how Mark describes these people. He describes them by their ailment. Uh, He doesn't describe them by their name. A woman with an issue of blood. One of my favorite stories where this woman had been hemorrhaging for 12 years and she thinks to herself, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I will be healed. Jairus' daughter. We know who Jairus is but we don't know much about the girl. All we know is that Jesus shows up when she has died and he whispers those words, Talitha Koum, little girl, it's time to get up now. And we see King Jesus healing this little girl and bringing her back into community, into the arms of her father and her family and into the plan that he has for her life, if I can speak so 21st century Americanish. Here in this story, it's as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus. Further than that, his name means son of Timaeus. So here we get Bartimaeus' name, and we also get his dad's name. And a lot of people would say that this is important because in the early church, Bartimaeus moves from the guy who used to be blind to one of potentially a prominent member in the early church. For Mark to name him and say that was Bartimaeus' story gives a grounding for some people to be able to say that's the guy that we now know who has risen to prominence within the church. It's interesting, and that's speculation, but it's interesting his story and where he came from. And we'll unpack that a bit uh, as we go a little bit farther. But it's the only miracle in the book with a named recipient, and that's at least worth pausing and thinking through. This story also ends the inclusio. Everybody say inclusio. It's pretty weak, but I'll give you a pass. It's okay. Um, It's this literary device that's framing this particular section in the book of Mark from Mark 8.22 until our passage here in 10.52. This, This couple of chapters where Mark is very, very, very focused on discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like, to lay down your life, to pick up your cross, to follow Christ with everything that you have. It's this this set of texts that's just completely and utterly focused on discipleship. In the first healing of the blind man in 822 and following, it's interesting because Jesus is brought this guy by his friends who desperately want their friend to be healed and Jesus takes him kind of off to the side and, and spits in his eyes and rubs around and do you see anything why, yeah? So, kind of, see, see people, but they look like trees, is what the guy says. And then Jesus tries again. I think that's pretty neat. Um, not the image of Jesus that I was given as a child, but here, Jesus, the first time didn't work, and he goes back in. And most people would say that this story is symbolic of the disciples' lack of understanding that takes time from them to go from blindness to sight, And we see this throughout these few chapters where Jesus keeps saying, hey, guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over into uh, the hands of the religious leaders, and they're going to hand me over into the Roman authorities. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to be mocked. They're going to spit on me. They're going to beat me, and then they're going to kill me. But in three days, I'll rise from the dead. And the disciples, when they hear this, are like, no, 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 that doesn't fit in our understanding of what's going on here. That doesn't fit in the, the framework in which we're understanding what you're supposed to do. Every time Jesus announces this, which is three times in these handful of chapters, the disciples demonstrate themselves to not understand what he's talking about. First, we have Peter who kind of takes Jesus aside, and it says that he scolds Jesus, he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus with that classic line says, um get behind me, Satan. It's, a, it's a, an odd put down uh, at best, but here we see Peter being kind of cast aside and Jesus reframing his, his thought. In a couple other chapters, we just have people who are part of this crew of disciples who want power. They want authority. They want status. They want to be something. They want to sit next to Jesus in glory at his right and his left hand. Demonstrating themselves to not understand what Jesus is doing. This these couple of chapters are demonstrating this movement from blindness into sight in a very literal way, where Jesus is healing blind people, but he's also trying to teach his disciples what's about to happen and lead them from spiritual blindness into spiritual sight. The story that we're looking at tonight um, is a bit more simple than that first healing miracle of the blind man in chapter eight. I just have three points that I want to walk us through. Three characters in the story, if you will, that that reveal, I think, truths about ourselves that are sometimes difficult to accept. First, we meet Bartimaeus, who in this story is remarkably perceptive and bold. In the, the text that introduces him, it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, remember that map. Jesus had done most of his ministry up at the top, and now Bartimaeus is way down at the bottom, and you have to ask yourself, how does Bartimaeus know anything about Jesus? The stories, his power, his, his goodness, his willingness to interact with people on the margins and the outskirts. This guy is one who sits outside of the city waiting for people to walk through and perhaps get some spare change. It's interesting that where it says that he leaves his cloak on the ground, that would be uh, his mode of, of receiving money. You just kinda lay the cloak down and people put money in it. At the end of the day, you roll it up and you take it home. And it's interesting here that when Bartimaeus gets up to go to Jesus, he just leaves his cloak there. I don't wanna read too much into that, but it seems as though he's seeing something that's gonna take place. So when he understands that it's Jesus, he begins to shout, Jesus, Son of David. This is the first time that anyone outside of Jesus' crew has understood who Jesus actually is. This this title, Son of David, was huge with theological implications. They're walking into Jerusalem with the leaders of the day, and they're equating Jesus with David. David with the one who was to come and to establish his rule and reign for all of eternity. This was a dangerous thing for someone to say, and here we hear it on the lips of a blind man outside of a town many miles away from where Jesus did most of his ministry up to this point. Bartimaeus is very quickly shut down by the crowd that it says that they, um, they, they, they look at him with disdain and they just say, shut your face, like stop talking, we're, we're busy here but he begins to cry out all the more loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And this is classic Old Testament language, just have mercy on me. We see it throughout the Psalms and throughout the prophets, and we just see these words that are surprising in in the mouth of Bartimaeus, and he's just very not only perceptive, but he is bold in asking Jesus to meet his needs even in spite of the people that say, shut up, stop talking, we're busy, we're doing stuff, can't you see we've got other things going on, stop. But in the midst of that, he cries out all the more. When Jesus finally talks to him, he says, what is it that you want me to do for you? It's the same line that we heard last week when, the, when James and John show up to Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. And Jesus responds with, what do you want me to do for you? Same reply, but here Bartimaeus says, Rabbi, strange also that he's referring to Jesus as Rabbi, having never met him before, I wanna see. Now I understand that Bartimaeus is at a different time and in a different mode, and he's dealing with different people, but it seems as though the man has some fortitude here allowing himself to be in the same place as Jesus, then also asking for what could potentially be the biggest request that he could ask for at that moment. Jesus, I wanna see. And perhaps, this is reading in, but perhaps Bartimaeus is fueled by the story of the guy in chapter eight that went out and Jesus kinda spit in his eyes and rubbed some dirt and he became one who could see again, perhaps. Or perhaps he just has no other options and this is his best bet. But here what we see is Bartimaeus who is perceptive in understanding who Jesus is. And this is also interesting because the disciples keep demonstrating themselves to be people that do not get it. And here we have this random guy outside of Jericho who who gets it. He's perceptive. He's bold in his request. And if Jesus' response is any indication, go, your faith has saved you. If Jesus' response of, of Bartimaeus's faithful request is any indication. He actually believes that Jesus will do something. N.T. Wright says, and kind of frames the story in a, with a bit more of a punch, um, one in which I've never really thought of before, but he, he says, do you, Bartimaeus, this is in response to his request to be healed, do you, Bartimaeus, want to give up begging Do you want to have to live life differently, to work for a living, to have no reason to sit by the roadside all day whining at passersby? It seems pretty intense, NT, right? Let's just calm down a little bit. But here the point is at least worth considering what Bartimaeus would have to do is now you can't just sit down and lay out a cloak and have people put money on it. But now when you're restored, when you can see, you actually have to go and contribute to society. Bartimaeus, do you really know what it is that you're asking? Do you really understand the cost of what this will be for you? When you, are, when you receive your sight, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to reacclimate into the community. And perhaps that would be overcoming the people that have said, shut up. We don't want to see you. We don't want to talk to you. Perhaps that would mean that they have to begin to forgive one another. Perhaps that would mean that he would begin to have to fight for reconciliation and restoration relationally with the people that have ostracized him and put him outside of their own town. Bartimaeus, do you understand the hard work that it will take you if I do this? And what we see in this story is one who, yes, understands what is going on. Bartimaeus wants the new life, but not only to restore his seeing but he wants the chance to follow Jesus. At the end of the story, it is um, Bartimaeus receives his sight and then it says he follows Jesus on the way. And that doesn't mean he follows Jesus on the path or on the road. If he follows Jesus on the way of discipleship that he is setting down for his people, will you deny yourself and follow me? Will you pick up your cross each and every day and follow me? Will you put others before yourself and not strive for power and authority and influence and status? Will you be able, as last week's text would say, to be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with? Will you be able to suffer? Will you be able to reconcile yourself with people and do the difficult work in the relationships that you have? That's Bartimaeus. The second group of people that we encounter in the story is the crowd who demonstrate themselves to be judgmental and exclusionary, and we've met these types of people before, not only in the text, but we've met these types of people in our own lives. And we see in this particular passage, just the the very simple introduction of these people is, many rebuked Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet. In their mind, they are more important than the beggar on the side of the road who desperately needs whatever the guy that they're following can give to him and the time his needs are second to their own. They just want to hear what Jesus has to say. They just want to be where Jesus is going. They just want to be involved in the ministry. And as they're walking by and this person is, is yelling and making a scene, they say, shut up. Stop. You're too dirty. You're too broken. You're too blind. You're too, you're not one of us. Stop talking. Stop talking. In our lives, I think that there's moments when we demonstrate ourselves to be the crowd. In the kingdom of God, where we learn each and every week or each and every time we flip open scripture, we see this this principle enacted that we are all created in the image and likeness of God, yet when we live our lives, there are walls between us and them, whoever that group might entail. We build walls because of theological systems and structures. We build walls because of people's choices. We build walls because of their relational baggage. We build walls because of the way they've hurt us. We build walls because they don't look like us, act like us, think like us. We build walls because we're afraid. And what Jesus is doing here in this text is one that subtly and very consistently has been wrecking my whole ideology of what it looks like to be a person, not only a Christian, but a person, where he keeps saying when people are yelling and when people are screaming, saying, get out, you say, stop. Call them in. What we learn from Jesus here in this text is not judgmentalism and being exclusionary, but we see Jesus again and again as radically and patiently inclusive. This is something that I did not get growing up, and the implications of this are very massive, and you can take them wherever you want in your minds as you sit here in the seat, but what is key to see is Jesus saying to the one who has been pushed off to the side, stop, come to me, what can I do For you. In the midst of the screams and the protests of the people that are following Jesus, he stops and engages this person who has nowhere else to go. If it were not for Jesus, the crowd would have kept him at bay. And the implication for us is, if it is not for us, who will bring them in? Jesus, in this text, is radically, and patiently inclusive. He stops the crowd, and for them, this would have been a, wait, what are you doing? It doesn't make sense. Call this person to me, and let me see how I can minister to their needs. There's a few questions that we can ask from, from this reading. How do you hear this story? Who are the people within it that you resonate with? In your life, have you felt yourself to be the person on the side of the road that all you hear is the screams of the people that are supposed to be following Jesus that say, get out, we don't want you, you're too dirty, you're too broke, you're too ugly, you're too whatever, we don't want to see you? Or, very challengingly, do you identify with the people who are following Jesus that say, stop, go, we don't wanna hear from you? There's a couple different streams that we can see in this text. The third question, what does this passage teach us about discipleship? I want to conclude tonight um, by just reading through this passage, and I may or may not include some stuff in it. But I want to give you a moment to respond to this, because this is, this is a lot, and there's no cute stories tonight, and there's not a lot happening, but I, I hope that you're hearing the weight of this text, and I want you to, to kind of begin to um, enter into the story, and I want to, to prompt you by allowing yourself to be in the place of certain characters. So I'm gonna read through this, this passage a couple of times. And the first time through, I want you just to think about Bartimaeus. I want you to think about what he's been through. I want you to think about what led him to being outside of the walls, to begging people for money, to not having any support, ostensibly, to not having any people that have his back, to just hearing the calls of this crowd that say, stop, you're bothering us. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho and as Jesus was leaving Jericho, together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, whose Timaeus' son was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, when he heard that he had a chance, when he heard that someone might be able to help him, to bring him back into the community, when he heard that Jesus, the one who's done miracles in the past, the one who has healed people, the one who has given sight to the blind, the one who has the potential When he heard that Jesus was there, he began to shout, have mercy on me in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my loneliness, in the midst of my desperation. You're the last chance I've got. Have mercy on me. Do something because I've got nowhere else to go. Have you felt like that? Have you been in a place where you're beside the road, where you're just crying out, have mercy on me, do something, change something, restore me to community, to relationship, to love with you? Like, have you been in this place of brokenness and hurt and pain for many of us in this room? Maybe not. But can you begin to identify with this guy And then as he's sitting there crying out, hear the words of the people around him where they scold him and they just tell him, shut up. Nobody wants you. Nobody wants to heal you. We've got other things to do. How many times have you sat beside the road and you've heard those voices invade your mind where you hear the negative critiques of those around you that say, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not... This enough, that enough? Can you identify with this broken man that all he has is hope that Jesus will restore? And when he hears those cries, he doesn't cower in his own pity and self-desperation, but he begins to cry all the more as if to say, no, you're wrong, have mercy on me. I know that you can do this. I know that you can help me. I know that you can restore me. Please do something you allow yourself to see where this person is and then begin to enter into his story recognizing that this is the story of those around you and Jesus says stop call him to me what do you want me to do for you i want to see i want to be restored Whatever baggage I'm bringing, I want you to take it. I want you to reestablish whatever it is that I've lost or whatever it is that I've never had. You're all I got. Go, your faith has healed you. Now let's run it back again. Because as we go through this story, a lot of times we're not Bartimaeus that's begging for Jesus to show up and do something. A lot of times we're playing a different role. We're playing the role of the crowd. And Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind blind beggar named Bartimaeus, he was Timaeus' son, you know the guy. He was sitting beside the road When he heard that Jesus was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show mercy on me, have mercy on me. And the crowd of which you're a part began to think, why? You're worthless. Why? We've got other things to do. Don't you see we're going to to Jerusalem? How many times... subtlest of ways perhaps we're not screaming at people saying stop get out of here shut up but perhaps we have written them off because of this and because of that and because of those and because of them and we've decided in our own minds who's in and who's out and in, in our way of thinking we're just following Jesus and along the way we're passing by blind Bartimaeus on this side and that side and this side shut up stop talking shut up we've got places to go you're not worth it you're not in this family I know your story the implications from this text demand better from us They demand or at least invite us to pick up the cross that Jesus lays down so powerfully where he says to the crowd, stop, bring him to me. And there's not a lot of things that we can do like Jesus, we can't sacrifice ourselves in the way that he did for us, but what we can do is begin to pick up our cross and to fight for the broken and the marginalized and the oppressed and to invite them in that same radical inclusionary love that he demonstrates for us in this passage because what happens with Bartimaeus is not just a, come on, it's a complete and utter life shift where the love of Christ radically impacts him, where he leaves his stuff behind. Maybe it's got a couple bucks in it, and he says, forget it, I can see, and now I'm with you. It's not forget it, I can see, and now I'm gonna go do other things. It's forget it, I can see, and we've got work to do, Jesus. Let me do what you just did for me. Let me do what you are doing for these people on the on the outskirts people that have been pushed to the side the people that society at large has says stop talking shut up we don't want you we're called to invite to love to accept and to allow people to see a different image of who Jesus actually is my hope tonight is that we do not stay in the role of the crowd, that we actually move from the crowd and we begin as Bartimaeus gets, gets in our, our line, we say, walk with me. Walk with me. Tell me your story. Tell me how you got here and tell me what you're giving up to walk with this crazy Jewish homeless guy. I want to hear it. I want to know it. And I want to I want to stand beside you because what I've learned in this interaction is that Jesus stands with you and I want to do what he's doing for you. Perhaps some of you are at a different place. That one's powerful, I I hope, and you can see it. But I, I know that there's other people that don't resonate with the crowd right now. What you're resonating with is Bartimaeus. You feel lost and you feel alone and you feel broken and you feel depressed and you feel hopeless hear the words of Jesus in the midst of whatever it is that's going through your head. Bring them to me. That's the call. Whatever you've got, whatever you're dealing with, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus says, come to me. I'll make you whole. I'll change you from the inside out. Let him, let him. I hope that what we hear tonight on both sides, whether you're in the crowd or whether you're on the gates of the town and you're begging, I hope that what you hear is an invitation to life, to love, to mercy and to forgiveness and a radical call to live differently, not for your own sake, but for the sake of those around you because whoever becomes the least of these will become great and whoever learns how to serve everyone will actually be the one who is leading. I hope that we can take that mantle upon ourselves and reach a broken world in whatever it is that folks are dealing with. There are many people that are playing the role of Bartimaeus and it's up to us to say, stop, bring them in. Let's pray. God, thanks that you can absolutely wreck us with your word and that you can allow us to see an image of your son. God, wherever I've taken it too far, bring it back. Wherever I've not taken it far enough, take us there. God, we know that you are doing something in our lives and we are asking that you lead with power and that you lead with consistency and that you lead with presence. Allow us to be the agents of change in people's life that what they need to hear is not another voice telling them to be quiet or to stay away, but a voice that begins to break down the walls and a voice that begins to say, come on in. We've got work to do. Do it with us. God, I ask a bold request that you would allow us to have opportunities to minister to people that need you. And that as your word says, we can count on the Holy Spirit showing up and guiding us. We're gonna bank on on that happening. And allow the folks in the room that need to hear your blessing, and to need to hear your encouragement, and that faint whisper where you say, I'm here. God, we ask that it would not be a faint whisper, that your presence would be undeniable, and that people would hear that they are not broken and worthless and damaged, but in you they are whole. Allow us to believe that and allow us as Bartimaeus did, not to just keep it for ourselves, but to follow you on the way knowing the cost, beginning to invite others in and sharing the story of radical love and goodness and hope. God, break us for what breaks you and empower us to be courageous, to fight for inclusion and to fight for people
1: We humbly ask
0: these things in your son's name.